Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode on the CSM podcast, brought to you by the students of Clausen and Spritnev. I'm your host Jason, accompanied by my co-host Patrick. Thanks Jason, on today's schedule we got our music guru Oscar, tech with Keanu, then we got sport and basketball with John, and comedy from our class clowns, Freddie and Liam, and our history buff Chris brings us back in time to the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, and an exclusive interview with our petrol head photographer Josh. So first of all, we got Oscar to give us a talk about vinyls. Hello, I'm Oscar Kelher. I'm going to be doing a brief piece on the history of vinyl records and their importance in music culture and the vinyl resurgence. Firstly, what is a vinyl record? Phonograph records, to give them their full name, are analogue storage mediums in the shape of a flat disc etched with a spiral groove, covering both sides of the record. We get the name vinyl from the material used to make them, which is polyvinyl chloride. These discs are used to record and play sound using a needle and turntable. Vinyls come in two main sizes for three different purposes. A 33 and one third RPM for LPs, which stands for long playing. These are used for albums and longer sections of music. Then you have a 45 RPM, which stands for an EP or extended play. These are generally for tracks with four or five songs on them each. Without a doubt, the LP is the most important, and that's what our story is going to be revolving around. Now, there's almost 110 years between the introduction of the first sound recording playback device to the release of the LP. Sadly, we don't have time to delve into the fascinating history and technology that leads up to this point. Maybe in another episode. What really matters is the story of the LP. First produced by Columbia Records in 1948, it quickly became the worldwide standard in the music industry, boasting roughly 23 minutes of playtime per side, and was able to hold a full album, which enormously helped during the album era of music. Sadly, this technology slowly began to be phased out by cassettes in the mid-1980s and compact discs in the early 2000s. However, beginning in 2007, something known as the Vinyl Resurgence happened, an era which we are still in today. With CDs being phased out for digital media, there was no real competitor for vinyl left, and with its huge list of pros such as improved sound, better quality, a stronger sense of connection to the music, and a more vintage and warm sounding tone. This helped vinyl become one of the leading analogue sound storage mediums in the world, leading to a huge number of vinyl collectors and vinyl stores around the globe. Personally, I'm a vinyl collector, so my thoughts might be a bit biased, but I genuinely do believe that vinyls produce a better sound and the feeling of joy you get when you first load a new vinyl onto the turntable can't be matched. As a closing remark, I would highly recommend vinyls to anyone who's new to music and interested in supporting the artist and having a great experience with the music. I've been Oscar, and don't forget to support your local vinyl stores. Personally, if you're based in Cork, I would recommend the Bunker Vinyl. That's where I get all my records, and they're really fairly priced, and the staff are really nice. Next up, we've got Keanu and his point of view on different consoles. Let's head over to Keanu now. Thank you. So in the last episode, I talked about the new PlayStation 5 that was released in 2020. Quick update, I finally got the new PlayStation 5 after an extremely long wait and the console is beyond amazing. Now, let's get back to the topic. There's one device that's not mentioned much compared to the new PlayStation 5, which is the new PlayStation VR 2 headset. But first, what is VR? For those who don't know what a VR is, VR stands for virtual reality. It's a device that creates simulated environment. People who wear a VR headset can interact with artificial 3D visuals. Another way of saying this is, it feels like you're inside a video game. Kind of like the movie Ready Player One. 
So, when did the PlayStation release their first PlayStation VR? Well, the first PlayStation VR was released back in 2016, but was it a success? Yeah, Sony has sold 5 million PlayStation VR units since its release date. And so, here are the positives and negatives of the PlayStation VR. To play a PlayStation VR game, you obviously need a PlayStation 4 or a PlayStation 5. But one of the biggest downsides is that upcoming native PS5 games might not support the first PlayStation VR, meaning that it could soon be replaced by the new PlayStation VR 2, which is coming soon in 2023. All VR games require a camera, and some might need a motion controller in order to play particular games. Another problem that I have with the VR is setting it up. It takes some time, but it's well worth it. The PlayStation also has a great collection of VR games, and others say it has a great content library. Now I'll talk about, um, is it worth buying? Well, I got my first PlayStation VR back in late 2018, but is it, again, worth buying nowadays? Right now, I don't think it's the right time to buy the first PlayStation VR since PlayStation VR 2 is quite close. I mean that PlayStation VR is awesome, but it's quite far from becoming perfect. But if you really want it, it's still available in stores such as Argos or CEX. But what about the PlayStation VR 2? Is it also worth it? Is it also worth to wait? In my opinion, yes, 100%. I would recommend you to buy the new PlayStation VR 2, which again, it's coming in 2023. Since it's newer, it has newer features and it's more powerful than its predecessor. So are the features of this new VR coming soon. It doesn't need a PS camera on your TV since there's now a built-in camera on the headset. You can experience breathtaking 4K high dynamic range visuals and it's up to 120 frames per second. The new VR2 delivers over 4 times the resolution than the original PlayStation VR. What's cool is that this device now has eye tracking cameras follow your line of sight when looking around. The VR2 also contains 3D audio, inside-out tracking, and it needs one single cable to play. And now here are my uh, recommended VR games. One of the top VR games is Beat Saber. Beat Saber is a VR game. It's a rhythm game developed by Czech game developer Beat Games in 2018. It takes place in a neon environment and features the player slicing blocks representing musical beats. Your goal is to slash the blocks using colored sabers. It's fun and all, but it's quite challenging, like Fruit Ninja. The game requires a PS camera and motion controllers. Beat Saber costs um, around 30 euro. Super Hot VR is also one of the best VR games out there. It's an independent first-person shooter video game in which the player must take out enemies using guns and other weapons. This game was released in 2016 and has a cost of 24 euro 99 cents. And the last video game in my list is No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky is a survival game developed by Hello Games. It is a game about exploration and and survival in an infinite generated galaxy. It was released in 2016 and No Man's Sky made VR available for the game back in 2019. The game has a cost of 50 euro. And that's all I've got on the PlayStation VR 1 and PlayStation VR 2. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for that, Keanu. Some really interesting points and factors on the VR. May consider getting myself a new VR set for the PlayStation. So, coming up next, we have John telling us all about what's happening in the world of basketball. 
Hi, my name is John Paul O'Leary, and on this segment, I would like to discuss the NBA playoffs, the current playoff runs, and the difference between, for example, the Champions League and the NBA playoffs. To start, the format. The regular season is 82 games long and has 30 teams, split into 15 in the Eastern Conference and 15 in the Western Conference. The top eight teams from each conference qualify for the playoffs, based on a win-loss record for the teams. They are seeded based on these records. For example, this year. The Suns were the first team in the West, with a 64-win, 84-loss season, giving them the first seed. And the New Orleans Pelicans were the eighth seed, with a 36-win, 46-loss season. So first play eight, second play seventh, etc. Therefore, the better seed you are, the worse seed you will play. In the actual playoffs, teams play a best of seven, or a first of four, series. The first round is based on seeding, like I said. But the conference semi-finals are the winner of the first versus eight against the winner of the fourth versus fifth, and the winner of the second versus seventh versus the winner of the third versus sixth seeds. Then, the conference finals are the last two teams from the East play each other, and the same in the West. This is the stage the playoffs are currently at right now, this season. Then, the winners of the East play the winners of the West in the finals. In the West right now, the Golden State Warriors from Oakland, California, are 3-0 up against the Dallas Mavericks. The Warriors are led by an ageing Stephen Curry, but he is still the best shooter and one of the best point guards in the NBA and in basketball in general. In the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics are led by their young superstar Jason Tatum and are drawing 2 all to a grit-and-grind and tough Miami Heat team, which is the antithesis of their luxury, extravagant hometown. The general consensus is that the West is already won by the Warriors, and the East could go either way. And before I finish, no, LeBron James is not in the NBA playoffs. The Lakers only had the 11th best record out of 15 in the West. They invested too much in old, finished players, and it was not a winning formula. Football fans might see shades of a post-Arsene Wenger Arsenal in this Lakers team. In the second round, the Giannis-led Milwaukee Bucks faced the Boston Celtics. And as I said, Giannis won two MVPs in a row only two years ago in 2019 and 2020. Giannis got beaten by the Celtics in a Game 7, tight, 4-3 series. It was a major upset to everyone in the league as they suspected that he would do a back-to-back as he also won the championship last year with his Milwaukee Bucks team as he was the primary superstar and this was an amazing feat which will most likely have him landed in the Hall of Fame with such greats as Michael Jordan and most likely by the end of his career also LeBron James. After this, the Celtics went on to play the Heat, who I said they are playing right now in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Heat are drawing too all to the Celtics, which is amazing because they have no discernible superstar. Perhaps Jimmy Butler, but Jimmy Butler was never one of these players that you would look at and think, he is an amazing top, top tier player. He is the glue of the team. He is a superstar, not because of his skill and not because of any discernible on-court talent, but because he is a born leader who will never give up and will always fight till the very end. The Celtics were expected to blow through the Heat like nothing, cut through them for a shortcut, but the Heat have put up a great fight and it looks as though it will be a tight Game 7 series like against the Bucks. The one thing that the Bucks lack is the grit and grind of the Miami Heat that could stop the Boston Celtics. This Boston Celtics team is an emerging star on the basketball scene and they could be a power to be reckoned with for years to come. 
The Celtics blew out the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the playoffs, who were suspe- suspected to be the best team in all of basketball because they were a low seed. They were the seventh seed who played the Celtics, who were the second seed. But they do have Kevin Durant, former MVP, and Kyrie Irving, who has made numerous appearances in the All-Star game, meaning that he is one of the best players in the NBA, who also won a championship in 2016 in Cleveland with LeBron James, which cemented his legacy as one of the best players of all time. In conclusion, in my opinion, I think that the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics will be a close series, but I think that the skill of the Celtics will, in the end, overcome the grit and grind of the Miami Heat that has worn down so many teams before them. And in the West, although no team has ever come back from being 3-0 down in the playoffs in such a late stage, I do think that Luka Doncic, who is also European, mind you, most of the players in the NBA who are the best right now are from Europe. So I would like to do away before I finish with this misconception that basketball is only an American sport and that only Americans are good at them just because they win in the Olympics. No, really, it's proportionate around the world. Luka Doncic, MVP candidate. Nikola Jokic, MVP candidate. Giannis Antetokounmpo, MVP candidate. You cannot rule out anywhere else in the world just because America is the primary league in the world for basketball. And... On that note, I would like to say that my prediction for the championship this year is Stephen Curry's Golden State Warriors from Oakland. Thank you for listening. I've been John Paul. Thanks, John, for giving us a playoff update on your favourite teams. Now, it's over to our class clowns, Freddie and Liam, for some strange stories and horrible hotel reviews online. Hello, I'm Freddie Nolan. And I'm Liam Kelleher. And uh, today we'll be discussing some of the funniest reviews we've seen on different products or uh, places. So, <laughs> Liam, I think you can have a go off at first. Okay, so, longitude is the summer, so you know, you're yeah. looking for uh, some, some housing, some accommodation, cheap stuff. There's the Kinley Hostel, and this is a review from it. So it's from Sam Gosuiski, and uh, it's a one star, and he goes... Yeah. I've not been to prison, but I reckon it's better than this. If you like dirty rooms, moldy bathrooms, and your toilet seat detached from the toilet, then this is for you. I've stayed for two nights with some friends. Location is good, and that's about all it's got going for it. Everything is dirty, and the communal bathroom areas were disgusting. I didn't see any cleaners on either of the two days I stayed. Potentially COVID started here and not on the other side of the planet. There was also a sign on one of the bathrooms asking visitors to not use the water due to an ongoing issue. No sign of the issue being fixed. I don't mind the late night and some drinks, but the walls were so thin you could hear the next room clearly. Noise to the late hours. Some of the reviews go in 5 out of 5. Have you ever been paid to do that or work there, I reckon? Avoid this hostel if you want a good night's kip and not to catch something. Were there any good reviews on it? No. Would you stay there? No. How expensive was it? Uh, 200 for like a room. Six, uh, I think six, six bed room. Doesn't seem worth it anyway. All right, Liam, I have a hostel here. For you, it's uh, in Lancashire, uh, over in England. And uh, there's a backpacker who went in. And uh, so he said he was after a long drive and he decided to take a shower. But he managed to get a cold trickle out of the hose, not even enough to wash his hair. So for this, he had to get on his hands and knees and place his head under the taps. And uh, having not realised the lock was broken on his room, he turned around to find the owner staring at him, smiling. (laughs) I swore at him and he ran out. As he left the hostel and came to the bottom of the stairs... He shouted up saying I was a big boy, <laughs> which is, I mean, he, this fellow owned the hostel and he was that much of a weirdo. What was the name of the hostel? Lancashire Hostel. I'd like to stay there. <laughs> I think it'd be a great visit. To be fair. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of these hostels, you can't stay for more than one night. I cannot oh. imagine myself staying more than one night in any of these. Big boy. <laughs>
Freddie, what would you do if that was uh, you in the toilet? I would be taking legal action, no doubt, <laughs> for <laughs> creeping on me. All right, Liam, over to you. What do you have next? So, obviously, it was bad reviews. It wasn't just hotels and stuff, but this this isn't really bad reviews. It's Well, there's bad reviews, but that's not what's funny. What's funny is the owner of the thing getting reviewed, his responses. So there's this game developer. The game has a lot of bad reviews, and the... Uh, the reviews, they're not so much funny, it's genuine, like, gripes with the game. Yeah. But uh, what's funny is the game developer's reaction, uh, Mark Jason Padua. So they, there's lots of stuff like, oh, the game's very laggy, it won't run on my computer yeah, yeah. or my laptop, stuff like that. And uh, then he, he just responds back, stuff like, review is bad <laughs> when I read this. Uh, good, I don't want you to play my game. <laughs> no, please don't play my game. Uh, phone is so bad it crashes uh, sad face uh, this review is so trash the person has a bad phone and doesn't want to watch ads for free premium <laughs> she's basically saying it's your fault that you don't want to basically he's make me money he's not selling the game very well he's, he's not making no. it look very good really <laughs> you are stupid it's just one of his responses he's just he's, that's not even like constructive criticism no, he's just an insult he's just insulting them mm. oh anyway so I have a review here from the Pentagon, and uh, I'll just read it. But it's it's clearly the a Pentagon. Joke. It's not serious. The As Pentagon, in... yeah, DC, Washington. <laughs> Go on. So it goes. I went there. I accidentally entered an authorized personnel only door, passed by a few doctors, and landed in a random fat of radioactive waste. Since then, I've been able to fly, shoot lasers out of my hands, and I've noticed <laughs> that I seem to be bulletproof. I would absolutely re- recommend this experience to geometry enthusiasts everywhere. Do you think that's true? No. Really? I think that's a bit of a joke, but... <laughs> Still good all the same. So which one did you think was the worst today that we saw? Uh, the Kinley Hostel one. I do as well. <laughs> Prison will be better. Because <laughs> where COVID started. That was one that de- that one definitely wasn't the joke. That no, was, that was that sounded They were all one Real stairs. and hateful, really. Mm. They had something personal against the Kinley Hostel. So that wraps up our finds from the internet of some horrible reviews. So we'll hand it back over to the host now. I'm a stitches after that one. Now we head over to Chris to learn about the fateful drive of Franz Ferdinand. Hello, my name is Chris, and I will be taking you guys back to the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Archduke Franz Ferdinand was born in the city of Graz on December 18th, 1863. After his cousin and father died, he became the heir to the throne of Austria-Hungary. His uncle, Franz Joseph, was the current emperor of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Ferdinand chose to marry his love, Sophie Czartek, in 1900, despite the opposition of his uncle who refused to attend their wedding. She was not just any lady, however. Sophie came from a family of obscure Czech nobles, but not from a reigning or formerly reigning dynasty of Europe. Because of this, her and Ferdinand's children were declared ineligible for the throne. Sophie also became the victim of discrimination. At imperial banquets, for example, she entered each room last, without an escort, and was seated far away from her husband at the dinner table. In spite of his marriage, Ferdinand remained Franz Joseph's heir, and inspector general of the army. Because of this, he agreed to attend a series of June 1914 military exercises in Bosnia-Herzegovina. 
Austria-Hungary had just annexed, taken over, these provinces a few years earlier, against the wishes of their much smaller neighbouring country, Serbia, which also wanted them. Ferdinand believed the Serbs to be pigs, thieves, murderers and scoundrels, yet he had opposed annexation for fear that it would make an already tense and complicated political situation even worse. Formerly controlled by the Ottoman Empire, Bosnia-Herzegovina's population was roughly 40% Serb, 30% Muslim and 20% Croat, with various other ethnicities making up the remainder. Upon learning of Ferdinand's upcoming visit, the young Bosnians, a secret revolutionary society of peasant students, began plotting to assassinate him. In May, Gavrilo Princev, Trifko Gabez and Nilajinko Kabrionvic travelled to the Serbian capital of Belgrade, where they received six handheld bombs, four semi-automatic pistols and cyanide suicide capsules from members of the so-called Black Hand, a terrorist group with close ties to the Serbian army. After practising with their pistols in a Belgrade park, the three men journeyed back to Bosnia, Herzegovina, receiving help from Black Hand associates to smuggle their weapons across the border. Even to this day, it remains unclear whether the Serbian government participated in the scheme. During the Archduke's visit, seven of the young Bosnians had fanned out along the Apple Quay, a main avenue in Sarajevo running parallel from the Magica River. When the mordercade with Ferdinand and his wife passed by, its route having been published in advance, Kabrionovic asked which car carried the Archduke. He then hurled his bomb at the car, only to watch it bounce off the folded-up roof and roll underneath the wrong vehicle. The subsequent explosion wounded two army officers and several bystanders, but left Ferdinand and Sophie essentially unharmed. Kabrionovic jumped into the mostly dry riverbed and made a half-hearted attempt to kill himself before being apprehended. I am a Serbian hero, he allegedly shouted as the police led him away. At least two other young Bosnians also had good looks at the Archduke, but apparently lost the nerve to attempt an assassination. Rather than immediately flee Sarajevo, Ferdinand decided to continue on the planned event at City Hall. Upon finishing that up, he insisted on visiting the wounded officers in the hospital. In order to avoid any other bomb-throwers, the mordecade zipped down the Appel Quay at high speeds. However, the first three cars accidentally turned into a side street, right where, by sheer hapless coincidence, Princeb happened to be standing. As the cars attempted to reverse back onto Appel Quay, Princeb whipped out his pistol and fired two shots at the Archduke from point-blank range, piercing him in the neck and also striking Sophie's abdomen. Sophie, Sophie, don't die. Stay alive for our children, Ferdinand murmured. Within minutes, though, both had passed away. Princeb, a slender 19-year-old Serbian army reject, and Kabrionovic tried to kill themselves with cyanide pills, but the pills only made them very sick. Princeb later admitted to killing Ferdinand, but said he had not meant to hit Sophie. Three weeks too young for the death penalty, Princeb was given a 20-year sentence, but contracted tuberculosis and died in jail in April 1918, at the age of just 23. The Austro-Hungarian government saw the assassination as a direct attack on their country. They believed that the Serbians had helped the Bosnian terrorists in the attack. They made harsh demands on the Serbians, which Serbians rejected. At the time, Russia began to mobilise their army to help protect Serbia. 
When Serbia rejected the demands, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. Austria asked for assurances that Germany would step on its side against Russia and its allies, including France and possibly Great Britain. Germany then issued the blank check to Austria-Hungary, a term for how Germany gave their unconditional support to whatever Austria wanted to do. This is one of the main reasons why Germany were blamed for the outbreak of the war. A few days later, Germany declared war on Russia, even though the leaders of the two countries were cousins. Sensing danger and aiming to deter German aggression, France began to mobilise its army on Germany's border. This led to Germany declaring war on France. And ironically, Austria-Hungary, the country where the conflict originated, on July 28th was actually the last country to declare war on their own enemy, Serbia. The fragile peace between Europe's great powers collapsed, beginning the devastating conflict now known as World War I. After more than four years of bloodshed, the Great War ended on November 11th, 1918, after Germany, the last of the Central Powers, surrendered to the Allies. At the peace conference in Paris in 1919, Allied leaders would state the desire to build a post-war world that was safe from future wars of such enormous scale. The Versailles Treaty, signed on June 28, 1919, tragically failed to achieve this objective. US President Woodrow Wilson's grand dreams of an international peacekeeping organisation faltered when put into practice as the League of Nations. Even worse, the harsh terms imposed on Germany, the war's biggest loser, led to widespread resentment of the treaty and its authors in that country, a resentment that would culminate in the outbreak of the even more catastrophic Second World War two decades later. Thank you for listening. I've been Chris, and this has been the story of the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Thanks for that insightful piece, Chris. Next up, I'll be talking to Petrolhead Josh and his love for cars and upcoming photography business. So Josh, how did you get your interest in cars? I've always had an interest in cars, even from a young age. I've always had an interest in cars, but really started developing my skill and interest in photography. As a career, I want to become a qualified mechanic and work with cars. I also feel that cars are a sense of escape, as you can always be doing stuff to do the car, such as visual mods and performance mods. Do it. You can be servicing it and all sorts of stuff to it. What do you do at the car meetups? When I get word that there's a meet on, and if it's in Cork or close by, and if I have a lift sorted, then I'd head up. So I'd be getting all my cameras, my gear cleaned and charged. I'd wear my costume hoodie with all my logos, my sponsors, my social media tags on it so people can find me easier and request work for me. To get my pictures done and look into the best of its ability, I'd get low angles of the cars, get into fine detail and also cover all of its features. Also, I'd be using my smaller camera to get close-ups of the badges, rims, etc. and any other detail that they may have or request. So Josh, what happens at the car events or meetups? So at a meet, what would mainly happen is everyone would like come up, they just park up. Some people go around and have a look at the cars. Me, myself, when I get up there, I get all my cameras ready and I just head out, find the first car I see and just get low angles to take pictures of the cars. Sounds, sounds good. <laughs> so what would other people do at car meetups? So there'd be people now that just like come up, park up, go around, have a look at other people's cars, see what stuff they've done to the car and possibly even take inspiration from their cars. There'd be some people that would like rev their engine, get some people interested, come over to the car and have a look. But that normally doesn't happen at big meets and events. 
So, Josh, what cars do you prefer more, vintage or more modern cars? Uh, I like both of them. Um, it depends on the car, really. I do like an A86, which is the Toyota Twin Cam. I also like the Nissan Silvia S15 as well. So, Josh, what's your favourite car so far that you photographed? I'd say my favourite one would either be the Nissan Silvia S14 that I got a picture at one of the most recent meets. So, Josh, a couple of people have uh, approached you and uh, how did you actually get your clients? So, I put up on my Instagram and my Snapchat um, asking, like saying I'm going to be at this meet, uh, where it is, what time I'm going to be at it. And if people want any pictures of their cars, just message me and I'll get some pictures of it. And then a few people messaged me, told me their reg, what car it is, what colour it is. And then I just keep a lookout for it, find the cars, upload them onto my laptop when I'm done and then send them off to them. So do you do editing or photos or do you, does that someone else do it? Um, I do all my editing myself for my YouTube, Instagram, all my other socials. If the picture doesn't come out like proper, and then I put it like through Lightroom or Photoshop. Then like if anything needs to come out of it, but I don't normally do that though because it normally like comes out decent. What do you talk to clients about? When I'm talking to the clients, I'd ask them what they want me to focus on, either if it's close-ups of the car itself, um, or any other like detail that they have on the car. They're all pretty sound out and understanding that I'm just an amateur photographer, and I tell them it's not going to be crazy good, but still I do my best to cover what they want me to cover and focus on. Who sponsors you? At the moment, I'm only sponsored by one company so far. The name of them are ICS Stickers. They are a sticker and decal company. They provide custom stickers, keychains, decals and many more. They provide decals for a number of businesses around Ireland and for people with decals for their cars also. They are currently making me some decals for my social media tags on it. Where do you buy your equipment, such as your cameras, and where do you upload them? So, my first camera I actually got, I got from my mum and dad, as they're also photographers. Um, when I got off them was a Canon EOS Rebel XTI and then I got myself a Canon PowerShot that I use for close-ups I'm getting a new camera for my birthday in July I'm getting a 600D I use a CPL filter which is a circular polarised linear filter and I have many more that one I use mainly for the better shots of the cars it also makes the colour pop as it reduces the glare from the reflection surfaces examples, suns and lights Is there any upcoming events? Um, rallies come up all the time around Ireland one was held recently it was called Rally the Lakes in Kerry it was on on April 29th until the 1st of May and coming up relatively soon is the Jim Walsh Forest Rally is scheduled for August 14th there was one up north called Dubshed there's always drift events in Watergrass Hill as well I hear you have merch where did you get the idea of having your own merch? so I've seen other car photographers out there like with their own merch easier for people to find you if like you have your social tags on it after making a small little clothing line that consists of hoodies woolly hats baseball caps and maybe even t-shirts as well so if I have only one hoodie and hat made up for myself but if people want some for themselves then I'd have to put in an order and be done with that and I'd be dispatched out to them when it's done and where can people find your socials I have a number of social medias that I post up on I post on YouTube my Facebook page my Instagram has over 500 followers and my TikTok has over 1000 if people want to have a look at some pictures, then my Instagram is the place to go and have a look at some there. The pics on the Instagram tag is cs underscore heaney underscore photography. There's also a custom link slash URL in there where it brings you to all my other social medias. I'm debating making a website so people can find me easier. Thanks for listening to me and hopefully you can see what I get, need to do and get ready and prepared for a Care Me slash event.
So that's going to wrap up our show. First of all, we'd like to thank all of our guests for teaching us all about the NBA playoffs and even some faithful drives of Franz Ferdinand. I'd like to thank Josh as well for coming in today. It was actually a real honour for him to come into the studio and uh, give his point of view about his upcoming business. And I'm sure we'll wish him all the best. So Patrick, what do you think of today's episode? Uh, I thought it was very insightful. Learned some stuff about Franz Ferdinand. Never did the harm. Always like to hear about the NBA playoffs. Always pretty interesting this time of year. Uh, I actually enjoyed the interview with Josh. I found uh, found a lot of interesting stuff and how maybe good to set up an own business. Oh yeah, but you'd probably find it more interesting if you knew how to drive. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> that'd be a good start, wouldn't it? Yeah, oh, that was pretty wild. I'd like to give a special thanks to all of our teachers, Miss Cleary, Miss Gary, Mr. Shocknessy, Miss Long, and Miss Arnold. I would like to give a special thanks to the Republic of Work, and the production and sound was done by Elaine Smith.